May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. From telling the story of the visit of the Magi to the Christ child last Sunday, tonight we move rather abruptly to the story of the baptism of Jesus as presented in the Gospel according to Luke. Like the infancy stories told on Christmas Eve and on Epiphany, this one is also a story of origins, though in this case we're introduced to a very much adult Jesus. This being a story of beginnings or origins comes across even more clearly in the Gospels according to Mark and to John, both of which omit any account of Jesus' birth or infancy and basically open their narratives with the baptism. John the Baptist, a rather wild and wildly compelling character, has already launched into his own ministry out by the River Jordan. Dressed in a robe of camel's hair with a leather cord round his waist, he looks and sounds like one of the prophets of old. When people came out to hear John and to request his baptism, he called them a brood of vipers, a den of snakes, asking them, Who warned you to flee from the wrath that's to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. His was a call not simply to assent to some belief system. It has to show. It has to bear fruit. And so the crowds asked John, what should we do? You know, how do we bear the fruit of repentance? And he told them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has food must do likewise. And to the tax collectors, John said, collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. And to the soldiers, it was... Do not extort money from anyone by threat or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. Not only tax collectors, but soldiers had gone out to see John, to be baptized by him. I mean, tax collectors were the epitome of traitor. And soldiers, whether they were the Roman soldiers or as is more likely, in my view, the Jewish soldiers of King Herod, soldiers were part of the political and military machine that ran that society, kept it captive to the ways of the Roman Empire, subjected it to the tin-pot dictator who was Herod. What are soldiers doing out, listening to John, asking for baptism. Well, for the most unlikely people, G.B. Caird said in his commentary, John's preaching had an irresistible fascination. And then Caird continues, To each class, John spelled out in simple terms the meaning of repentance. To ordinary, selfish folk, blind to the needs of others because of their preoccupation with security, to tax collectors whose trade was a form of licensed extortion, to soldiers accustomed to line their pockets by intimidation and blackmail, 
John gave the same injunction, renounce your besetting sin. Renounce the thing that's dragging you down and making you what you are. After the powerful language with with which John had opened, after calling them all a brood of vipers, this seems almost too simple. But you know, had John lived in our time and been asked, what should we then do? He might have told us that it really isn't rocket science. It really is pretty simple. We need to look at ourselves and figure out where we're most likely to get ourselves in trouble and have a go at that. Where are we most likely to become self-absorbed, self-centered, self-serving? Where are we most likely to be uncritical and to just buy into the norms and assumptions of the wider culture, never really questioning what it's doing to others around us, what it's doing to ourselves? John would say, change that. And that's the lead-up to tonight's passage, in which we heard that the people were filled with expectation and questioned in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, hoping that John might be the Messiah who would mark the end of Roman rule, mark the end of Herod's violent collusion, and mark the end of the stunted condition of what had once been glorious Israel. Well, the instant the suggestion is made that John might be the promised Messiah who would change all that, his language ramps right up again. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who's more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to even untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then John really increases the intensity of his speech as he says, And his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff, the chaff he'll burn with unquenchable fire. It's a mode of speech which I'm going to assume left those newly baptized soldiers and taxmen doubly committed to changing their practices and repenting. John is never afraid to use vivid and uncompromisingly tough language. And yet the gospel writers, Luke particularly, is still quite clear that he believes this is good news to the people. That Jesus has come to receive from John that baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin has often puzzled readers, though. I mean, after John's preaching and his tough message and all of his words, here comes Jesus himself to be baptized. Why? Why would he need to do that? Repentance. There was apparently something, though, about that very public ritual that made sense to Jesus as a sign of his new beginning, his entrance into his public and adult ministry. Matthew even tells us that John would have prevented Jesus, turned him away, saying to him, I need to be baptized by you. You're coming to me? 
And yet, regardless of John's scruples, into the water Jesus went. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, and with you I am well pleased. As presented by Luke in his gospel story, it sounds as if this was something very visible and very audible to everyone who was there. Whereas in Mark and Matthew, it seems more something that Jesus himself experiences almost on his own. Frankly, it doesn't matter. For we are the primary audience here. We're the ones who are intended to hear that voice. We hear the words that proclaim that this is the Son, the Beloved, with whom God is well pleased. Watch him. Watch him as this story unfolds. John had been right, of course. The Messiah is near. The Messiah has come. He was absolutely right in that part of his proclamation. Yet John will later be puzzled, and he'll begin to doubt it himself. Once he's been locked in Herod's prison and hears the news of what Jesus is doing, it doesn't sound much like a winnowing fork. It doesn't sound much like a blazing fire. John is puzzled because he can't see from his prison cell what Luke has seen and what Luke is inviting us to see, the character of the one whose sandals John believes he's unworthy to untie. Whatever else John might have understood, the idea that Messiah would do things like take women seriously and incorporate them into his inner circle, insist that room also be made in those circles for children, that they not be dismissed but drawn close, that he would tell a story in which a Samaritan, a Samaritan, was the hero, that he would touch the skin of outcast lepers and make them well, and that he'd do all of these things as a demonstration of what the reign of God is really like, John simply would have had no way to anticipate any of that. And the idea that the Messiah, remember, the one who John said he couldn't even, couldn't even untie his sandals, that that Messiah would wash the feet of his disciples as a way of showing how life is intended to be lived, John would have been knocked over by that picture. Frankly, we should all be knocked over by how Jesus actually lives into the sonship that's announced so clearly at his baptism. For all that we know, of course, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we know the compassion Jesus showed to those whose lives were the most broken, the ones most pushed to the edge. We know the story of the foot washing and of all that it calls us to be. We can still take it way too much for granted we can still be pretty blind to the claims that all of that gospel story places on our lives here and now. You are my son, the beloved. 
With you I am well pleased, says the voice. We need pay deep attention to his story as it unfolds over the coming weeks and months of the liturgical year. For in paying close attention to hearing it anew, the course of our own life stories may well be changed. Amen.